0: You know, it amazes me that there are still people out there who sincerely point out phallic shapes, phallic objects, like it means something, like it's, or it's, there's some, like it's some sort of insightful observation, because, I mean, that was always, uh, that was already an old trope when I was a kid, like, like the, you know, the classic feminist who sees a penis everywhere the classic feminist who thinks everything that has a elongated shape like that is some sort of, you know, phallic symbol, you know, that sort of thing. People were making fun of that even when I was a kid. But it's amazing that there are people who still think that that's a, like, there's still some sort of insight in pointing that out. Like, you'll see people say it about rockets. Like oh uh, you know rockets are just uh, boys uh, playing with their penis. Ah uh, they they make rockets in that shape because it's it's just boys playing with their penis trying to turn everything into a penis. It's like no it's aerodynamic. It's aerodynamic. There's a reason why that shape is more conducive to launching something. You know if they could make rockets that were just a ball a ball and that worked better for that purpose they would do that i mean it turns out we make things of all sorts of different shapes and they all have a purpose as to why they're shaped that way most of the time what got me thinking about this though is i saw hey you know of course this is provoked by something i saw online try not to do that too much on here but it's such a big part of our lives, something you saw online. I mean, think about just everybody, like something they just saw online is probably what they're talking about. But I saw some comment online where like some woman was pointing out, you know, how, uh, you know, skyscrapers are phallic. And uh, it's like, no, you know, there's buildings of all shapes. They make buildings of all shapes. They make buildings that are so horizontal. I mean, the first buildings, huts, just little balls. Speaking of balls, like a hut is just this little ball. Let's make a little ball to live in. A little ball with kind of a cone at the top. And skyscrapers. I mean, as if I even need to break this down. But uh, you know, skyscrapers. No, it's just a really impressive. You know, if if you're impressed by those things, like if there's any criticism, you know, it's just whether or not to be impressed by human ingenuity. And I don't think you have to be. Like, there's a lot of so-called human ingenuity that I hate, and I'm not excited about, or I'm indifferent toward. I'm not that impressed by skyscrapers. Like it is impressive that they can be made, but I don't I don't see them as some great symbol of what we what humanity is capable of or anything. But that said, like I, it is impressive that people make those and have made them. But it makes sense that that would be seen as impressive. It's like well, we can build something horizontal and it's big and it's wide. A lot there's a lot of that but what's really impressive is to make a tower that's what skyscrapers are they're towers look at the towers you know we only give certain skyscrapers the tower name the twin towers twin towers you know you give certain buildings like like every city it's like oh that's the such and such tower That's trump tower and there's a name in new york new york has more towers than other places i think of course it does um but it's just... It, look at those towers. But, you know, no, I mean, the idea that, like, building a tower, something that goes straight up in the air, and it's really high up, like, so high up, it's you can't even fathom the idea of humans being up there. And humans take it for granted very quickly. Like, I haven't even been in, into the tallest buildings in the world. I've never been to New York City. I've never been to uh, Dubai I haven't even been in the tallest buildings that are out there. But I've been in some really tall buildings, and I don't even think about that. Like, when you're up there, you might be like, Oh, wow, I can see a lot. Oh, wow, I, I'm high up. I can see the whole city. But you take it for granted very quickly, and you're like, Yeah, I'm just in some office. Oh, yeah, I'm here I am in this office. Here I am in this building. looks like a building to me. You don't really think like, oh, it's insane that I'm this high up. I mean, same thing for planes while we're just spiraling out into another topic here. But same thing for planes where it's like you you take for granted that you're up there. And like for me, like I've gone on planes very rarely. Last time I was on a plane was four years ago. But I'd say I've been on a plane every, I don't know. On average every few years you count how many times I've been in a plane for the last 37 years it's probably probably averages out to like every few years every three years worth of time I've probably taken a plane ride. I haven't taken a lot of plane rides but enough that they're not really a big deal to me. They are now like when I went on a plane four years ago it was a really big deal to me. I was like this is crazy. But it's just being that high up. Like you don't have to do it that much. Like it's one thing if you're one of these frequent flyers, what they call a frequent flyer, and you're just like, oh yeah, just uh, it's like taking the bus for me. Oh yeah, because of my job, I I fly a lot. Oh, it's just normal to me. Like uh, when I'm in the airport, I just I play it cool. I've known those people. Nothing wrong with those people, but it's it's kind of a. They're kind of puffing their chest out. Like, oh, I fly a lot. So, like, I just treat being at the airport like it's uh, brushing my teeth. This isn't a big deal. You know, you know you don't even have to be one of those people. Like, you could be like me where you really haven't taken planes that frequently. So I'm, I'm nothing close to a frequent flyer. I'm not one of those people who's taken, like, one plane ride in my entire life. But, you know, I'm, I'm not a frequent flyer. But even then, like when I think about plane rides, I'm not thinking about the, the marvel of it all. I'm not marveling at the fact that like I'm extremely high up being transported through the sky. And this is, this isn't even supposed, I'm not even getting into some like stoner like, dude, you ever think about how like being in a plane is uh, dude, you're like a million miles in the dillion sky, you're a million dillion in the sky and uh, just flying through the atmosphere. You ever think about that? I mean, that is crazy. You don't. You don't have to be a stoner to think that way, but I'm not even getting at that. I'm just saying, like, you know, just the how insane and unlike it, unlike anything else in your life, it is. Yet the second you're up there, you're just like, "Where's my peanuts? Where's the, where's the, where's my peanuts? Oh, dude, like the guy in my the seat in front of me is leaning back his seat, and I don't like it." Oh, man, I got to go to the bathroom. Oh, man, there's a line to the bathroom. Oh, man, like, uh, I didn't get a window seat. Or I got the window seat. I wanted an aisle seat. You know, whatever it is. That's where your mind goes the second you're in the sky. Even if you're impressed by it. Because I'm talking about myself here. Like, Even as someone who I think I I have perspective about how insane it is to be flying through the sky. But I, my brain still goes right right into like, where's, where's the, what are they gonna serve? Are they gonna serve us peanuts? Are they gonna serve us? Uh, one time I had ravioli on a plane. It wasn't very good. It was actually the worst ravioli I've ever had in my life. And I was eating it a billion dillion up in the sky. A billion dillion inches up in the sky. But that's crazy that, like, I didn't, I didn't, I was a kid, I was young, but still, it's crazy to me that, like, my brain didn't go like, oh, hey, it's actually insane that I'm eating ravioli at all up here. It's insane that a servant brought me ravioli when I'm flying through the sky. No, instead, my, my mind said, like, oh, this is very good, oh, this sucks. And that should tell you a lot about everything. You know, it should tell you a lot about everything that even in on a plane ride, something that hasn't been around that long. I mean, instead somebody rides a horse and they're like, dude, it so it's so crazy, dude. I was riding a horse, I was riding a horse. You know, it's like people just go out of their minds telling you about that time they rode a horse. That same person will hop on a plane and there's like, oh, where's my, where's, oh, this ravioli sucks, I, dude. More peanuts. They only gave me one bag of peanuts. Oh, dude, they gave me, a, they poured me part of a diet Pepsi, but they didn't give me the whole can. Uh. And even if it's not that petty stuff, like even if it's not like the the, the silly little complaints, the ordinary daily complaints, just the fact that you you know, even if you're fine. Even if you're not complaining, how you're just like, oh, I better read a book. Oh, I better listen to something. Oh, I'm bored. I spend hours doing just mundane things every day. I have to spend five hours on a plane. I'm fucking bored. This is cool. This is fine. I like the ravioli. Nobody's annoying me. I'm enjoying this plane ride. I'm... I'm, not upset by anything on this plane, but it's fucking boring, dude. I mean, you know, one way or another, you'll forget how wild it is what you're doing. One way or another, your mind will go like, "Oh, I should just revert to my normal way of thinking." Whereas, like, the idea of you know, take somebody 200 years ago and say like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna put you in the sky. You're gonna have a window." You're going to have a servant. You're going to get fed ravioli. Like every two hours, they're going to bring you some sort of nourishment. They're going to give you a Diet Pepsi. There's a bathroom up there. So if you were to tell someone 200 years ago, oh yeah, we're going to like send you flying through the sky and you're going to have a servant. You're going to have food. You're going to have a bathroom. They'd be like, I don't need anything else. I, I don't need distraction. Like, I'm going to be so high, literally, but I mean, I'm going to be so buzzed off of this experience that, yeah, only, I only get to spend five hours marveling at this experience. That's how you'd feel the whole time. Like, and not just the fact that, like, oh, wow, this view is amazing. Oh, wow. The idea of, of doing this is amazing. Not even that. Although that would be a big part of the marvel, but like the effect that that has on your brain, it's like a, it truly is like a drug or or some sort of you know otherworldly experience. Where like you could put me in a room where I can't see out, but the fact that I'm doing this right now has me so out of my mind that even if I'm not impressed by the view for five hours. The things my brain is doing right now, the way my, you know, the, the way my, when um, my brain is just coming to terms with this experience, this is just wild. The things I'm thinking, like that alone would keep you occupied for five hours. Combined with the view, combined with the novelty of like, there's a servant here bringing me ravioli. And even if it sucks, like tell somebody two two hundred years ago, like yeah, we're gonna put you up in a thing called a plane, and we're gonna fly you across the sky. You're not gonna have a servant. You're not gonna have a bathroom. You're not gonna have ravioli. They'd be like, oh, that's fine. I'll hold it for five hours. I'll, I'll, you know, I don't need water. I don't need food. I, I don't need women serving me. I don't need a bathroom. Because I'm going to go up in the sky for five hours. You know, people will hold their bladder... Their bladder... They'll hold their bladder just watching a movie because they don't want to miss something. People will hold their bladder to fly across the sky for five hours. But no, they won't. Instead, they get used to it. And they think... "Uh, Oh my God, I got to go to the bathroom. Oh, there's a line. Oh my God, I hate... Getting out of this seat is so uncomfortable. Like... Oh, I, I I have I have the window seat and that means I'm gonna have to like cross people's legs like I'm gonna have to walk past people's legs with very little room and walk down this little hallway and maybe wait and the door is weird the door is this weird little plastic slider that just locks this sucks I have to go to the bathroom so bad you know it's you know that's how people are now. Whereas 200 years ago, someone on a plane for the first time would just be like, "This is so insane! I don't, I don't need to go to the bathroom. I'll, sh- I'll, I'll excuse, I was about to say something more gross, but what I'll say is, I'll piss my pants. I'll piss my pants up here, and you know what? That's that's cool too. Holding it for five hours because I'm flying through the sky, that's cool. But uh, you know, pissing my pants and just that experience, that's that's great too. I'll piss my pants just to be up here." It's worth pissing my pants to fly through the sky at insane speed. But, uh, you know, what got me going on this is just buildings. You know, that we just take that for granted. Like, you go up in a tall building and if it has a really crazy view, maybe you're like, oh yeah, this is uh, interesting. But you do it even with just the build. I mean, like going up a three-story building. Like I, I was in some sort of hospital a few months ago, or like a year ago. It's probably a year and a half ago. It's probably a million years ago. No, but I was up in a hospital sometime within the last couple of years, and it was. I think it was four stories high, five stories high, and that's not uh, you know impressive by our standards today. Like a five-story building is just like oh. Okay. Some sort of commercial or medical building five stories high. Who cares? It's normal. But it is like being in a it's like you climbed a really high tree. And you climb a high tree, if you if you've ever even done that, and you're like, This isn't this is wild. I can't believe this. But you go up five stories and you're just like, Oh, I gotta wait here. I gotta go up here and wait to go see the doctor about this thing. Oh, I'm so worried about this. Now I gotta go up here and wait. Whereas, you know, you're high up. You're you got this wild view. Wild. They have buildings. And you know, I, I you know, as I said before, I'm saying this from a place of like I do this. I try not to. And the fact that I try not to helps make life a little more surreal. You know, detaching yourself in that way, you know, makes life a little more fun and enjoyable. Like you don't wanna to get to the point where you're looking at a beautiful girl's face thinking like, noses are weird, aren't they? What is this weird breathing apparatus? Like that thing, that I find attractive on her is this weird breathing apparatus that sticks off her face. And there's nothing um, truly that pleasing about a nose, but yet something inside of me as a human being looks at that and, I, and it, it looks like something else. It, it harmonizes with the rest of the face and I see some sort of aesthetic beauty to it beyond its strange purpose as this thing that sticks off, this thing that sticks off the face to aid somebody in taking in oxygen. And you don't wanna get to that point. You you don't wanna get to the point where you're like, boobs, you ever notice how boobs are just these strange sagging bags and they just stick off a girl's chest? You ever like remove yourself from what that is and just look at it? It's like object meditation. It's like staring at an object and detaching yourself and and doing it for so long that you no longer see an object on your floor for what you think it is. You remove it of all context and you just see this strange shape sitting there. All of those uh, ideas firing off in your head that say, that's a sock. That's a sock. It goes on my foot. It's this brand. It's this color. You know, object meditation is just staring at something and detaching yourself, unfocusing yourself to where you're just seeing this matter. You know, you can do that with a, a, a pretty girl's wonderful nose or her boobs and just be like, wow, I'm seeing this in a whole different light. And uh, I no longer feel the things I would normally feel about this. It's just this strange thing I'm looking at. You don't want to get to that point. But it is good to do a little bit of that. You know, it is good to be able to do that a little bit. I do it a lot, but I think I I wouldn't recommend anybody do it a lot. But I would recommend people do it a little bit. Just do it a little bit. Detach yourself, unfocus yourself from whatever it is that you're looking at. could be another person. And that's the hardest of all. Like anybody can stare at a sock for long enough and kind of tune out. But when you're like looking at another human being and talking to them and you detach yourself from what that is and you just see the object you don't dehumanize them you don't get weird you might get privately weird but you don't like treat them weirdly but you're just looking and talking and if, if you can disconnect from that it's a very strange feeling And so I recommend people do that a little bit, but just not a lot. Um, but anyway, point being, you know, doing that with just your experiences, doing it with the things you come into contact with. And, I mean, and you come across like somebody who's, you know, a teenager on mushrooms for the first time. Like, whoa, you ever think about what a car is? Whoa, being in cars are weird. You know, everything's weird. You don't want to be annoying with that thought, but you don't want to lose that thought either. You don't want to lose the thought that like, yeah, being five stories up in a completely boring medical plaza, just looking out at a parking lot. This too is novel. It's still novel. Um, and it'll and it, not just that it's a novelty but because I can see this as a novel experience even though i even though everything in me wants this to be mundane everything in me wants me to just be bored everything in me wants me to take this for granted oh it's just a five story building who cares this looks like every other doctor's office I've been to this looks like every other hospital I've been to this looks like every other parking lot. It's like every other five-story building I've been on the fifth floor of. You know, that's that's what you will default to. But being able to, you know, see the novelty in it and be like, this is science fiction. And yeah, like somebody could have done that a billion-dillion years ago. They could have done that a billion-dillion ago. You know, some caveman making, you know, a sharpened stick. There could have been another caveman who's like, you ever think it's weird that this stick is sharpened? This stick wasn't sharpened before we got a hold of it. You ever think it's weird that we develop tools to sharpen this stick and kill things with it? Isn't that strange? There was a guy who didn't take that for granted and saw it for the strange thing it was. It's just that we've gotten even weirder to the point where It's not just staring at a sharpened stick. It's staring at something that you can't even comprehend that it came from nature. Like if you're in a modern hospital, you can't comprehend that what you're looking at came from nature. If you're in a car, you can't comprehend that what you're inside of is nature. It came from nature. It came from this planet. Being in a plane can't comprehend that it came from you know the same thing you did the same thing everything did again teenager on mushrooms but you got to have a little bit of that in you forever moving along uh, another thing that was on my mind a little bit ago was you know the performance of not having children you know it's a lot like the other things people don't do and therefore have a need to talk about. You know, it's like someone who doesn't eat meat, who feels the need to talk about that all the time. Someone who stopped drinking and talks about that all the time, talks about not drinking and how great that is all the time, which, you know, that was me when I first quit drinking. You know, I haven't drank in six years, close to six years now. And, uh, you know, it comes up if it's relevant. Like if someone asks me if I want to drink or something to that effect, I like "Oh I don't drink and it's easier than just saying not right now or no just laying it out that oh I don't drink I usually say I usually don't say I don't drink. This is a weird you know little tangent here, but there's something I don't like about saying I don't drink because I don't want people to think I don't know why this is, but I don't want people to think that I never drink. And I actually want people to, I don't want people to think I was some, you know, pathetic, raging alcoholic. I don't want people to think, I don't want people to have some idea of what kind of drinker I was. Because one, they have no idea. But I want them to know that I went pretty wild with it. Like, I want people to know that, like, I'm not a guy who just never drank. You know, you meet those people in your life where it's like, oh, that guy, he's just never drank. Like, I want people to know that, oh, I drank. But I don't want it to be a bad thing or a sad... I don't want to be like, oh, I used to have such a problem. I used to do this. I, it's it's so sad and bad. Oh, I used to drink and it was so sad and bad. You know, I don't want people to have that idea. I want I want people to know, you know, there was kind of a wild lunatic who drank. You know, that I was a wild lunatic at one point. But I don't want to go too hard on that. I just them to kind of have an idea, but I'll bring it up if it's relevant. You know, just be like, "Oh, I stopped drinking. I quit drinking." That's usually what I say. Oh, I quit drinking years ago. Because one, you want people to know that oh, I don't, I, I simply don't do that in, at all, or I don't do that anymore. So that because otherwise they'll ask you. It'll keep coming up. Like if you just say, "Oh no, I'm good. Or, I, I don't." If someone says, "Hey, you want to get a drink?" and you're like, "Oh, I'm, I can't tonight, or I don't want to." They don't they, you know, you have to let them know that you you're never going to do that. But beyond that, it's not something you need to volunteer. And I think that you know, I I was aware of this when I quit drinking and I tried not to do it, but I still did it. You know, I kind of made a general announcement to some people That I quit drinking because I I felt like it was necessary information at that time like so many people associated me uh, With drinking with that's how they primarily hung out with me That was how people made plans with me that I Had to kind of communicate in one big stroke That oh I quit And then for you know, maybe six months afterward Now and again, I'd be like not drinking Here's the great thing about not drinking. Here's the great thing about not drinking. Here's the great thing. Here's the great thing. Uh, you know, I, I did a little bit of that. But I always felt sick when I did it. You know, you always get that. It's that, uh, you know, it's like Buddhist, the precept against wrong speech. Saying something that you intuitively know you shouldn't say. You get that feeling sometimes when you spread gossip without realizing it. Like Sometimes something'll happen like somebody you know did something and you tell somebody else you hear you hear Mike you hear what Mike did <laughs> Mike pissed his pants in an airplane you know, and then something inside of you goes like I shouldn't have said that or I shouldn't even as it's leaving your mouth you think like I shouldn't be saying this. Sometimes you still do it you got to do it you got to do a little bit of it it's like going to the bathroom. But you shouldn't do too much of it. And, uh... What was I going to say about that, uh... What's I getting at? I don't know, but what I was going to talk about was, um... Oh, well, well, just the idea of not doing something, that's what I was getting at, is, uh you know just when you quit drinking you have this need to be like i quit drinking 6 months ago i quit drinking a year ago you know for me it's it'll be 6 months soon and you know that's that's cool it's cool that i did that i like that i did that i like that i you know haven't drank for 6 years i just stopped And I think people who, you know, have had problems with that, if they need to feel proud of that or talk about it, they should, because the alternative is worse. Like, if you need a coin from AA that says, like, one year sober, two years, three, four, five, six, seven, nine, ten, you know, if you, sorry, baddie, um, you know, if you need that or that feels like a necessary component of you staying on track, do it. Like nothing I can say can take that away from you. It's what I've said about Fitbits over the years. You know, I'll make fun of Fitbits. I think, you know, whenever someone's like, oh, I counted my, st- um, I got this many steps today, dude. Dude, I got 23,000 steps yesterday. I just think I would be. it would have been so much better if you didn't count them. People will ask me that, how many steps did you do today? Which the fact that that's a normal thing people will say, like at work, people will say, because I, I move around a lot. You know, the people at work, it's yeah, you know, like, you're you're just always moving around. You're always walking. I don't even see you coming. You walk around really fast. You're just like darting around. How many steps did you do you get? That's a, actually I've gotten that question many times. How many steps? Which is kind of crazy that, you know, so many people are counting their physical steps every day. They have a device that counts them, that it's fairly normal. Like I'm not offended by it, but I just, I don't do anything like that. It's like weighing yourself. If you don't have a reason to weigh yourself, why would you weigh yourself? You don't have a reason, why would you weigh yourself? You know, why would you? If that works for you, That's fine. But I I guess I just don't understand the idea of measuring your weight all the time. Like, I, I remember, you know, when I was, you know, on the fat side of fat, when I was a fat boy, and I first lost a lot of weight, you know, dropping, you know, from, I don't know what my highest weight was. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if I got up to like 230, 240. I must have been at one point. But I remember at one point when I was dropping a lot of weight weighing myself and i I think i was like 170 pounds i think i think this the lowest i ever got to was like 165 but i remember like looking at it it was like 170 and thinking like one this is great you know if i had to be a certain weight like the weight that i like myself to be is 175 180 180 is great 180 is great Let's, let's go with 180. Because when I've gotten skinny, like when I've actually been skinny, I don't like that either. I don't like being a skinny guy. But, uh, you know, so 165, that's, you know, too thin for me. 175, 180, like a healthy 175. Uh, that to me, I like the idea of that. But I'd seen that I was like 170 and just the fact that I, like, I remember like looking at the scale and just being like, wow, I was a fat boy my whole life. It's cool. It's cool to be 170 pounds and to do it, not because I'm sick, just because I'm losing weight, just because I decided to, but that wasn't part of the weight loss. Like, even though I lost, like, I must've lost over like the span of, I don't know, half a year to a year. I think I must have dropped at least 60 pounds, maybe 70 pounds at one point. And I didn't do that by constantly weighing myself like, oh, this time next week, I got to be three pounds less. You know, I didn't do it that way. And if you can, if that if that works for you, great. But the only real measurement was like, oh, these clothes are getting baggy. It was just the mirror and the feeling of my clothes that was really the only thing i thought about and other people will tell you too you know uh, other people will you know i've said this before about many different things but and it'll tie back to what i'm mainly talking about but other people will let you know and that feels way better like if you lose a lot of weight People you know will see you, especially if they haven't seen you for a little while, and they'll be like, "Did you lose a lot of weight? Oh wow, you look great! You look great!" You know, people will comment, they'll they'll ask, they'll say something, and that always feels way better. You'd be like, "Yeah, oh, you noticed? You noticed that I'm a, a fat old boy? You know, you noticed that I look a little different? You know, great." Same thing for any kind of accomplishment. And you know, when I say these things, again, like i'm I'm guilty of of all these things. like i'm I'm guilty of pride, I'm guilty of you know self-promotion. Um, you know, how, how could I not be? I'm a human being. but I, you know, the thing is though, is like trying not to do it or being aware of it, and knowing that it feels much better when you don't say anything. Like if you're promoting your music all the time, you're like, oh, listen to my new song. Like, oh, I did this. Here's a picture of me in the studio. Here's a picture of me in the studio because you're going to expect new music and it's going to be good. You better listen to it. You know, the, the way artists behave and think. How much better it feels to be like, to have somebody be like, oh, I heard that song that you did. And they're like, And you're like, wow, you found that on your own and decided to say something. That's valuable. Whereas if you're just hammering people with your stuff all the time, new song. Oh, here's a new song. You want to hear my new song? I got a new song. You know, if you're always doing that to people and someone says like, oh, it's good. This is good. What is that worth? You were like, you were begging them for it. You're begging people to say that to you. Whereas if they do it on their own, it's a much different, you get a lot more value from that. Same thing for losing weight or doing anything. Um, And then you also trick yourself into a sense of accomplishment with that. Oh, hey, I'm recording a new album. Someone's like, oh, that's so fucking awesome, dude. Fuck yeah, dude. You haven't actually done it they haven't actually heard it and you're like yeah dude this guy likes it this guy oh dude this guy you know someone's uh, someone's into it already and it's like they haven't even you haven't even done it they haven't even heard it and that makes things less potent for one and sometimes it makes you not do something at all like announcing that you're going to lose weight oh i've decided it's january 1st first it's january 1st first I wanted to let all my family and friends know I'm going to be losing weight this year. i gonna be losing a lot of weight. You know, someone who says that and then people are like, oh, you fucking rule. Dude, you're fucking, you, you're inspiring. You fucking, you're fucking amazing. Dude. You know, people who react that way. And then that person who made the announcement that they're going to lose weight who hasn't yet. They're like, oh, I did it. <laughs> I did it. And it's like you you haven't even done anything yet. So on one hand, you can trick yourself into not doing anything at all because you're getting the sort of response you would get if you had done it. But even if you still do it, it's not going to be as potent. You're not going to do it as ruthlessly. Like if you ruthlessly get in shape, if you do something ruthlessly... Which is not to say like bad, ruthless, but it's just like you fighting your own private battle, your own private war could be creative. Like if your creative process, if during that, you know, you're just ruthless, I got to do this. I'm just going to rip this out of the ether. I'm going to rip something out of the ether right now. I, I, you know nobody cares people have this idea about me if they have any idea at all but I'm gonna rip this out of the ether and right now only I know what I'm doing you know that's a way more inspiring thing to do same thing for losing weight or something though same thing for getting in shape like I'm gonna ruthlessly get into shape. I'm gonna ruthlessly quit drinking. I'm gonna do it with just a a killer's mindset. And if other people notice, that's the best. Because we all want people to notice. We all want to be seen. We all want acknowledgement. So if someone else notices that I'm just ruthlessly ripping this out of the ether, All the better, but I'm not going to ask to be noticed. I'm not going to ask to be, you know, acknowledged. I'm certainly not going to ask to be appreciated. I'm going to rip this out. I'm just going to, you know, reach into the hole in the sky and pull this out. I'm going to change reality a little bit, even if it's just my own reality way better way to do it. I mean, think about getting in shape. If you if you've been out of shape, if you've been a fat boy at some point in your life, if you spent the first couple decades of your life as a fat boy like me, who never thought like a fat boy, never considered myself mentally that archetype. Like I like when I was fat, I was often the fattest of my friends. I wasn't the fattest guy in the world? I was literally the fattest guy in the world. Now, I wasn't the fattest guy in the world, but I was often the fattest of my friends. What we call the fattest of my friends. <laughs> but uh, I didn't think of myself in, in that. Like I wasn't like I'm the fat guy of the group. Like I had a friend who graduated high school early. Well, he, he graduated. He was older, so he graduated before we did. And he had this roommate who was just like some guy that he worked with at The Gap. And then that guy would bring his friends over. And like one time there was this guy who was probably like a, a 25 to 30 year old bodybuilder. And we were smoking weed out back. And then we came in and like this bodybuilder, he was really nice, but he was just very aggro. And he was just like, oh, hey guys, like you're stoned. We ever like think about, and then he'd like do these like jump scares like, if you're stone. what do you think if I do this? <laughs> Doing like weird things with his hands. Like it was just silly and stupid, but I appreciate it. Now I appreciate it. Like I'm like, uh, this guy just acted like a buffoon. Like he thought he could like mess with our heads when we were stone. but he was nice. And then I remember he started talking to me and he's like, I bet you're like the Chris Farley of the group. And you know, he wasn't trying to insult me and I wasn't as fat as Chris Farley, but I was fat enough to be compared to him. You know, I wasn't. I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't as fat as Chris Farley, but I was. I was fat enough that like some random dude would like say like, oh, "I bet you're the Chris Farley of the group." I certainly wasn't the skinny guy in the room. If you're saying that to me, oh, you. I, but I remember like in my head thinking like, "Yeah, you know, sense of humor is like big with me." But I like like I'm not the goofy fat guy. Like I'm not the Chris Farley who's just like, you know, where it's like my humor is. You know, even then it was like my humor was a very cere- cerebral humor what we call cerebral humor the fattest of your friends has a very cerebral sense of humor but no it was just like a cerebral sense it was like the same as it is now just you know dumber I mean I think, no, I think my sense of humor is dumber now but anyway it doesn't matter um I but I you know I wasn't the Chris Farley of the group. But this guy was just like, Oh, a bunch of stone kids. There's the fat guy. I bet he's the Chris Farley. I bet he's a fat guy like falling through tables. But I never like, you know, so I never had that mindset. Like, I was never like, "Oh, I'm the fat guy. Um, like, you know, that was many years ago. Now that's what like 17 years ago that I lost all the weight. And uh, like now it's like, that, that doesn't even feel relatable. And it didn't even shortly afterward. Like there was a novel period where I was like, oh, I'm, I'm in shape. Like I can wear size small shirts if I want to. And it's not weird. I can wear medium sized shirts. I can wear size 32 pants clothes actually hang on me decently you know I can wear clothes without looking like an idiot like there was maybe a short period of that where I was kind of like whoa yeah I'm in shape now I'm not fat but like there was no fat mindset or like fat self-image that stayed with me at all it wasn't like oh I'm in shape now but I still see myself as a fat guy I still feel fat. You know, that never happened. I just moved on. I was just like, oh, yeah. And now, at this point in my life, I'm like, I don't even recall that. It's not even relatable to me. Um, but uh, I don't know. I mean, like, the general topic I'm going on is... You know, just announcements. Announcing things. Declaring things that you don't do. I don't watch TV. I don't eat sugar. I don't drink. I'm this many days sober, I don't drink. I don't eat meat, I'm vegan, I don't eat meat. You know, these are all obvious things people talk about all the time, like how annoying that is. Now the other one that's big is you know just declaring that you don't have kids and the amount of people now who don't have kids who make it you know a, a part of their identity that they don't have kids when the whole thing should be like you should be so busy or sh- so consumed with the other things you're doing that you you should never be sitting like i don't think about the fact that i don't have kids the only time that I think about the fact that I'm unmarried with no kids is when I'm around people who are married with kids and I'm just like, oh yeah, that's a different thing that they're doing from me. And I think it's wonderful. I think it's great. Like whenever a friend of mine has had a kid or told me they're having a kid, I'm just immediately like, that's great news. And I'm not one of those people who's like, oh, it's a baby. Oh, dude, I'm going to be Uncle Eric. Oh my God, you it's a baby baby, baby, you know, like, I'm not one of those people at all. Like, I'm just like, oh, that's great news. I never want to see you and your family. I never want to meet your kid. No disrespect, but, but like I don't need to be a part of your family life now. That's wonderful news. You're doing a great thing. You're doing what you should be doing. The only people I've known where like, I'm like, oh no, you're having a kid is when it's like, uh, like that person's you know, they truly shouldn't be a parent. Like my friend Andre. He was one of my close friends in like toward the end of elementary school through junior high. And then by the time we got to high school, he was in and out of jail. And uh, he had, he went from being this like, kind of just strange skateboarding kid. And then he started smoking weed and just like overnight, when we were around 15, he became a wigger and a scary like knife wielding wigger. I think it was, I've thought a lot about it and I think it was just like, that was the path to like antisocial and criminal behavior. Cause one of our other close friends and I have talked about Andre over the years and we actually do think he's a psychopath, like a clinical psychopath. Like We've never known somebody who is truly that unfeeling toward others. And he's not some like Machiavellian psychopath who's like achieved anything like he's just been in and out of jail. He still dresses like a wigger. He drinks all day every day. He gets in fights. He does stupid, impulsive, criminal things. He was a kleptomaniac from the time that we were young kids. At the time, it was like, oh, Andre just steals a lot. You got to watch your stuff around him. Oh, he's. Oh, yeah. That friend of mine is banned from all the local grocery stores because he's just can't stop stealing. And it was a game to him. He didn't need that stuff. But When I look back, I'm like, that started really early, like elementary school age. And uh and I'm like, oh no, that was just that was what was to come. He was truly antisocial, like the in the actual definition of antisocial, that's what he was. Antisocial behavior. Not that not asocial. You know, people often confuse antisocial with asocial. Oh, I'm so antisocial, I just want to stay home with my cat. I'm so antisocial, I always say I'm gonna go to parties and then I don't. No, I'm talking about antisocial behavior. Like people who deliberately do things, whether they know what they're doing or why they're doing it or not, they often don't. They deliberately do things that disrupt the social harmony, social fabric, the social contract. That's what antisocial behavior is. And that was what my friend Andre has always done, and it just got worse and worse. He was heavily medicated as a kid, but anyway, about 10 years ago, he knocked up this 18 year old girl and he's like a a year older than me or something like that. He was our he was in our grade, but like he, he's a little bit older, like I want to say, you know, a little counts for a lot when you're growing up like he might have been I, I know that his birthday was in the summer before the school year. So he wasn't a year older, but it was one of those things where it's like, He's the first kid to turn the new age. Oh, we're sophomores in high school. Everyone's going to be turning 16. Like he was already 16 when the school year would start. So about 10 years ago, which means like he was in his late 20s. He knocked up an 18 year old girl. Like she was just straight out of high school. Just some girl that he drank with down in downtown Seattle. And she had the kid. And I was just like, this is a nightmare one he has monstrous genes like there's something in his genes his family was from ireland like he has triple citizenship he's a citizen of ireland a citizen of canada and a citizen of the united states because he was born to irish parents like irish nationals in canada and then they moved back to ireland and then they moved to the united states and so he has i believe i believe he's a triple citizen if you if you can even do that i all I know is that he's free to go to any of those places when he's not in trouble with the law. Um, but anyway, he knocked up this girl, and I was just like, this is bad. Like, he he has... I think his monstrous genes go... It's like how schizophrenia originated in Ireland. Like, they've... Last I checked, you know, this shit's always changing. Uh, trust the science, it's always changing, but... Uh, Last I checked, like, they, they determined that schizophrenia comes from Ireland. And when I heard that, I thought of Andre, because he's not schizophrenic. But it's like, whatever sick thing has been running through his system his whole life, I bet, I bet he has an uncle. I bet he has a great uncle who is just like that in his own weird Irish way. There's no question to me. Like, I doubt he's the first one in that family tree who's this way. But when I found out he was having a kid, I was just like, oh, this is... There were a bunch of other people around that time, like my age group who were starting to have kids. And for the most part, I was like, that's great. Like kids from my hometown who I haven't talked to since I left, like if I see on Facebook, they have a family and kids. I'm like, what else were you gonna do? This is exactly what you should have done. This is wonderful. You know, same with friends of mine who are artists and interesting people, you know, they, when I found out like they're gonna have a kid, I'm like, this, this is great. I'm really happy. Um, Andre, no, when I found out he was having a kid, I was just like, one, this, this child is going to be born with a high potential to be a monster himself. If Andre's in this child's life, even if the kid doesn't have the monstrous genes, even if the kid d- didn't inherit that, just Andre being in this kid's life is gonna make him really fucked up. And if he's and if Andre's not in his life, and the kid's name Andre Jr., no joke. Because Andre's also very narcissistic. He's in the age of social media, and and. Thing is I I have a strangely I think Andre is a despicable person who is a nightmare of a human. Um but I have a strange respect for the the weird creature that he is. He fascinates me. But I uh, what was I going to say? Um Oh, in the ages, because he like added me on social media, like some years back, like he got out of prison or something and started like, you know, social media accounts. And every single day he takes a selfie. He conti- he's continuously taking selfies and saying things like, I'm the prize. I'm the prize. And he's very creative for a guy who ultimately just became a drunk wigger insanely funny and creative like he's kind of lost the magic over the years. But no, he's he he is a strange creature and people meet him and if they talk to him, they know this guy is insane and unique and hilarious hilarious. But he just he has like a Facebook account and he just takes selfies every single day when he's not in jail, often with a a bottle of something. He'll be like yee we out here and it'll be him with you know a bottle of alcohol in a public place like he just goes to public places and drinks all day every day i don't know what he occasionally he'll get some sort of um terrible job like labor ready he'll do labor ready or something and i remember he had a job at burger king like he posted a picture of himself in his burger king outfit and he was like fell in life. So occasionally he gets some minimum wage job, but he doesn't last very long. I don't, I can't really, I I knew his parents. I can't really see them paying for him to live this way. I guess I wouldn't be surprised if he gets money from the government. Like I I wouldn't be surprised if he gets some kind of disability because he was diagnosed with something when he was very young and he was heavily medicated. Like every day in school, like in elementary school, like he was in my classes and every day at a certain time on the intercom, they would say, can you send Andre to the office for his medication? It's so like every day he had to be medicated at certain times. And there weren't very many kids like that. Like he had to get this, this medic medicine from the nurse at the same time, every day, multiple times a day. And I just figure, you know, cause he's not enough, even though he's a, an unrepentant criminal and has been since he was really young and he still is constantly going to jail and everything um and despite that he, he's never been able to put it to any kind of use like he couldn't make a living stealing like there's no organization he's so impulsive and destructive that there's no there's no kind of um He's, he, there's no organized way that he steals or commits crime. that He could make a living off of it. Like, he's stolen cars. Like, for a while, for a few years, you know, maybe once a year, I would, like, look him up to see. And you'd see whether he was in jail or not. And you sometimes you could see the charges. And I remember, like, one time it was possession of a controlled substance. One time it was for breaking out of jail. He broke out of jail. He escaped. Um, one time it was for... Um violating after he had his kid he got one for violating a restraining order which no doubt the mom of his kid filed there was one where it was you know breaking and entering another where it was um grand theft auto or something but it's like he doesn't do that in a way like he's not He's he's never stolen a car and sold it he's he's never done anything and made money off of it like He just steals what he wants right now. Often it's things that don't even matter. Like, at one, Ember in junior high, there was one time where he goes, oh, I found this lady's Blockbuster card. And he showed me this Blockbuster card, which is worthless. Like, all that is, it's not like losing your credit card or or even your Target card. Like, all that means is like, oh, you're gonna have to go get a new one if you want to rent movies. But like, you, you don't pay for movies with it. All it is, is it's like when you rent movies, you give them that card and they, they, they put it on your account. You still have to pay for the movies. But he had this woman's blockbuster card. And I looked at the name and it was the last name of his neighbors slash friends. Like he lived next to these weird twins who were wrestlers. They were on the, the local wrestling team. And uh, my phone just vibrated for no reason. But uh, anyway, they they were on the wrestling team, and like it was just a neighbor thing. But he hung out with them a lot, and it, and they had a unique last name, and it was it was their mom. And I was like, that's that's Tyler and so and so's mom. Tyler and Kyle were their names. I was, and he was like, and he was like, shrugged. He's like, hmm. And i know how he operated like i'd seen him steal for years and i know that he was probably just over at their house and saw the blockbuster card on the counter and just took it and then he showed me to kind of try to like be like oh like he would get like a perverse thrill out of doing that like stealing this blockbuster card which has no value to him but just taking it and then showing me as if he found it even though he knew that he stole it, and I knew that he stole it. And like, that wouldn't be, that wouldn't be the kind of thing that he would, sh- under other circumstances, like the sort of things he would talk to me about. Like, even if he really just had found some lady's blockbuster card on the ground, it's not the kind of thing he would like, show me. Oh, hey, isn't this interesting? I found this lady's blockbuster card. Oh I mean, what do you think of that? That's not the kind of thing Andre would ever talk about or or show you. So the whole thing was this just stupid little performance where it's like he stole that from their mom for no reason. It has no value to him. It has no value to anybody. And then he showed me just to be like, "What what do you think of this? Just incredibly impulsive and just does things to hurt people. Point being... The point I was going to make is just that when I found out he was having a kid, I was just like, no, this is really bad news. And from what I've learned, he has no contact with his kid, with his, the woman, who the girl who he had the kid with. The kid's like 10 now. He's out of that kid's life. The kid's probably still going to have problems given he has his genetics. And now has to like not have his father in his life which fucks people up sometimes in its own way but it's a really good thing he's not in that kid's life it's whatever that kid ends up being that kid has more potential now but i really want to meet the kid like i there's no way that i would ever meet this kid you know i have no connection i don't don't have any connection to like this 18 year old girl from seattle that he knocked up you know 10 years ago but I would love to know what that kid's like. I would love to know if, like, completely independent of Andre's influence, if Andre Jr., which is his actual name, because Andre, yeah, he, he's—I don't remember him being that narcissistic growing up, but like in the age of social media, he just—he—he's just so incredibly self-obsessed. You know, it's wild. And like naming his kid Andre Jr. is stupid. But Andre would just be like, I want to name him after me. Like that is the, that's that's how the, the Andre that is, that still exists, this different version of my childhood friend, like that's how he thinks. So it would just be like, yeah, of course I'm going to name him Andre Jr. But I want to know if that kid, independent of Andre's influence shows some of the unique qualities. Like, even if they're not bad, like, even if they're not, you know, as destructive as him, as pathological, like, I want to know if that kid has weird little... Because the thing is, when I first met Andre, this just turned into an Andre episode, I think he moved here in third grade, and I didn't become friends with him for a couple years, but he lived next to a friend of mine. He was known as the Nose Picker. And this is, you know, I don't want to say this is like, you know, an antisocial behavior. But he was known because he would just pick his nose in class and didn't, like, other kids would pick their nose more discreetly. Like, kids pick their nose. I pick my nose all the time. Today, I I picked my nose all day. But still, like, people are discreet about it. Kids are very, like, sensitive. Like, you don't want to be known as the nose picker. Andre did it just blatantly. And not in a way like he was trying to gross people out. He would just be in this. He would just be completely zoned out and like unaware of his surroundings. And you would just see him digging his finger up his nose. And it was genuine. It was like he wasn't doing it to be like I'm the gross weird kid. He was. He was just doing it. And I was thinking like you know that the fact that he didn't seem to get that, like he didn't seem to understand or think about the fact that that made somebody weird or a pariah and then he like you know within a, a year or two of that he started his kleptomania. It's like he's always had this sort of antisocial thing where it's like the norms of and, you know, and I'm all about challenging norms and you know not going along with the program but it's like with him it was like just it was noticeable from a young age and even picking his nose as much as he did as blatantly as he did it was kind of antisocial it was he was disconnected but anyway andre uh he was just this weird kid like he had a he he had a really baggy oversized san jose sharks sweatshirt and he he also had this like baggy cleveland browns jacket and he didn't care about sports his family didn't his, his family was from ireland and they didn't care about sports if they did it was just soccer like, his parents were actually Irish. They had, like, you know, thick Irish accents. They looked and acted Irish. They were very European-seeming. And so, like, I don't know why he ended up with, like a San Jose Sharks and a Cleveland Browns jacket. But he wore that stuff. Just this weird mishmash of stuff. And, you know, I think his family did all right. I don't think they were wealthy by any means. But I think they were just comfortably middle class but he was just this like ragtag and he was ginger of course because he's Irish and he um, but anyway he uh, he was just this weird kid like nobody made fun of him people would like behind his back people would be like "Oh, Andre the nose picker like the kid who picks his nose all the time they would say things like that but they wouldn't attack him they wouldn't belittle him he was he was almost too weird to touch, and then I came to learn around that time that he had this really intense fantasy world with these fantasy characters he had made up, and he was just living in that world in his own head. Um, it revolved, and this is, this all sounds like really silly and stupid, and it is, but it 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 was really deep. Like it, it, by that I mean, like it it was something that was going on really deeply inside of him. But his fantasy world, it revolved around this character named Larry, who was, I'm trying to remember what Larry looked like. He was kind of like a a variation on a smiley face. It, It was just this kind of like unique smiley face that Andre would draw everywhere. And you'd ask him about it, and you'd be like, is that Larry? And you'd be like, yeah. And you ask him about Larry and Larry was like the good guy. Larry was like the the good character in his inner fantasy world and it, and the antagonist and like Larry was always being tormented by this other character called glare. It was Larry and glare. And he would draw glare too and glare. Looked like Pac-Man meets a sperm with kind of like these spikes, like kind of like a, like, I can't remember what type of dinosaur that is, but like a stegosaurus or something. But like, Larry was like, a kind of like a Pac-Man meets a sperm cell with just these spikes that kind of like, almost like a mohawk and they went all the way back down his back and his tail. And these are very simple, you know, just drawings. Like I said, like just kind of a weird smiley face and a, uh, Just this kind of like cartoony, simple Pac-Man sperm demon, Larry and Glare, and you would ask—I would ask him questions about it, and he would answer you like without missing a beat. It wasn't like, "Oh, what does Larry do? What does Glare do?" And he'd be like, "Um, no." It was like he would answer matter-of-factly. Like this was all going on. Like this—this wasn't stuff he was just making up on the fly. Like this was stuff that he thought about in his own head all day. And one thing he would always say, and he was consistent about it, like he was consistent about Larry and Glare's characteristics. And he would say that, you know, like Glare is always raping Larry. Like Glare was this like dark sexual creature that was always trying to rape Larry, like raping him. I don't even know if he knew what rape was, but he, he said, they're like, oh yeah, glare just all, and we would laugh. Like I would laugh. I'd be like, oh, he's raping him and be like, yeah, like glare is always raping Larry. And, uh, I believe there were some other characters too, but it all revolved around Larry and glare. And these, these were very real ideas to him. These were like very real characters. And then like over the, you know, over the next couple years, like, I, I don't remember, I think he stopped drawing that and talking about it, but I got to know him a little better after that and like found out he was very funny and he got into skateboarding because he had this older brother. He was a few years older than us and he, he was really into punk and skateboarding and just cool things like Kevin Smith movies before they were, you know, they were big in their own way, but you know, before like kevin smith mania took off like his brother was watching those movies and so he, you know he kind of introduced andre to some cool things you know like underground music skateboarding just you know typical suburban counterculture stuff but andre always had a very dark side like from around that age he started carrying a knife with him all the time and he would name his knife and talk about it like a person And sometimes it was kind of like false, like sometimes it felt like it was performative, like he was just trying to freak us out. But it was still yet another thing, like, just like Larry and Glare and all that, like his knives became this like obsession of his and he, he had this whole almost like internal monologue about his knives, his knives. And then the stealing, you know, started around that time, too. Like, we were all getting into that stuff. Like, we were all getting into, you know, just suburban counterculture stuff. Um, but Andre, he, he, I don't even know how much he liked it. Like, he didn't seem to, like, my friend Nick and I, like, we'd get into bands. We'd get into this. Like, Nick got really into skateboarding. He became, you know, one of the better skateboarders in town. He got sponsored we were always digging into new music and really deeply identifying with it, just getting obsessed. Like, Andre, like, had that stuff. Like, he... he, some. I don't remember him really caring about music, but he would, like, listen to the music his brother listened to. And he he was into skating and dressing like a skater and, like, whatever the cool skateboarding brands were at the time. But he never really seemed to be into it. And then... You know, his sense of humor, though, like, he, he would do things that nobody else would do. Um, he would do very daring things. Like, around that time, we got into making these homemade prank videos, and he, w- he would just do very daring things, like, physically, mentally daring things. Like, he would jump off of things that were really high up. He would fuck with people. He would just do it during the day, like even off camera, he would just do those things during the day. And he would make up little songs and things. And he would come up with names for people. Like that started early too, like that was on the playground in elementary school. He wouldn't come up with like mean nicknames, but he would come up with these weird character names for people. And it was based on, like, their faces and stuff. Like, there was this kid that we would see on the playground. And he's like, Mr. Dom Pope. That's Mr. Dom Pope. Do you see Dom Pope? But Mr. Dom Pope, and I don't don't even know what the fuck that word is supposed to be. Dom Pope. But he called this kid Mr. Dom Pope. And he, he would just... It's like that kind of turned into this whole... He had like this whole story almost. like, And it wasn't something like he had to explain to anybody. It was just like something he would say. Like, oh, Dom Pope. And uh, so he he started doing that. And then... Yeah, and every conversation with him was going to be unique and interesting. But like as we got a little bit older... And like I would like both of our parents had to go to work really early. So we would get dropped off at school before everybody else. And so I don't know, like seven, like let's say school started at eight o'clock every day in junior high. You know, we'd be there by seven fifteen, and we would just sit in the, in the you know, at the lunchroom tables and the other kids whose parents worked early would get dropped off. And so it was like this black kid, this wigger. It was a, a collection of kind of troubled kids and misfits As you'd expect, like latchkey kids and that kind of thing, you know, I had the best home life out of any of them. Andre did too. Andre's, there was nothing wrong with Andre's home life. His parents were just these these mild-mannered Irish people who just didn't know how to handle him. Like his brother turned out great. You know, his brother was rebellious and everything, but like he went to a good college. He has a family. He's good-natured, social you know, there's nothing wrong with Andre's home life that I'm aware of. Uh, He was just a bad seed. And uh, so Andre and I probably had the best home lives of any of these kids, but we would just sit there and it was like a social club where we just, we, we talked to this weird black guy named Scott. Like he was black, but he had these piercing blue eyes and his dad had killed himself when he was in the womb. And so Scott was there and he would always talk to us. Uh, Scott, I can't remember his last name, don't need to say it anyway, but um, I remember it because people would talk, would call him by his entire name. His name was Scott Chapman. Scott, they'd be like Scott Chapman. Did you hear what Scott Chapman says? But yeah, he was, you know, one of the few black kids in school, you know, definitely pretty rough. But he had, you know, he was half black, but he had these piercing blue eyes, I remember. But he would just talk to us. That was around the time like where I, I really, like, Andre and I were spending way more time one-on-one than we had. Because, like, I stopped hanging out with him outside of school at one point. He came over to my house, and we were around, like, 12 or 13. And there were a few boys over, and we were playing basketball and just running around the yard. And then when everyone went to go home, everyone went home, uh, like, our outdoor patio light was broken. And I was like, Andre did it. I know Andre did it. Because he would just break things. And I told him, I was like, you can't come to my house again. And he's like, why? And I was like, you broke that light. He's like, what are you talking about? I didn't break that light. I was like, yeah, I know exactly what you do. I've seen you do it. Because he, he's the type of kid where if he was holding a basketball, he would think nothing of just throwing it as hard as he could at the light. And then if you asked him why he did it, he'd go, I didn't like the way the light was looking at me. The light was pissing me off. And it's funny until he's breaking your light. And so I just told him, like, you can't, you're not, you can't come. And he was banned from my other friends' houses, too, because of things like that. And he would do it Quietly. He would do it on his own. But we would still sometimes, like, we would hang out outside of school, but we wouldn't... I never went over to his house. I went over to his apartment maybe once or twice where his family lived for a while. But, you know, we would never hang out at each other's houses for the most part. But, uh, um, yeah, by the time, like, junior high, though, like, in these morning sessions, like, we were spending, like, way more time... And just hanging out at school, like, one-on-one a lot more. And he started to, like, confess all these things to me. Like, he was dating this girl. She was Native American and kind of into punk. Just kind of... She was in... I, I never had a problem with her, but something always seemed a little off. I think she was a nice girl but she just seemed you know I don't know you just you get a sense for things and you don't don't know what it is at that age but you just get a sense that like she's a decent person but there's something wrong here and he started dating that girl and it was his first girlfriend and one time he he and I were in science class and he goes last night she told me um, their uncle raped her when she was younger and I was like like I said you know the idea that oh uh something's wrong here and I don't know what when you're young you don't know what that is with a girl but it's like oh there we go and I was like it's awful and uh he just shrugged like it meant nothing to him. Like he was telling me about it, but you could tell like it meant nothing to him that his girlfriend told him that. And then one time, one morning I got to school really early and then he came in and he was like, in the middle of the night last night, I rode my bike to her house And I just climbed the tree next to her window and I watched her sleeping and I had my knife out and I was just holding my knife, just watching her sleep, thinking about killing her. And my first thought was, I don't believe him. But my second thought was like, even if this is is a lie, this is his fucked up dark side getting worse cuz he wasn't a goth kid he was he wasn't he was very obsessed with violence and murder and things but he wasn't interested in that stuff like he wasn't interested in true crime he wasn't interested in serial killers he wasn't interested in uh angry music he, he wasn't into anything aesthetically violent he just always had a knife on him and he started to say things like that more and more often Where like my first thought was like i don't believe you I don't believe that you went to her house in the middle of the night when she was sleeping and just watched her through the window with your knife in your hand. I just don't believe you. That was my first thought. But then I was like, you know what? Even if it's not true, this is like what he's thinking about. This is, and there's no, you know, like, f- there's, there's no fun to this. Like, there's no, um, we're not the sort of people, like our, our group of friends, like aren't the sort of people that are like, oh, that's dark and cool. Like I was into dark stuff, but it's like there was no like uh, currency to him telling me that. And then I just, I was like, okay. And then he just shrugged. Like he would just do this weird little dismissive shrug. And then that, that was around the time that he like really started going off the rails though. Like just got way more into weed morphed into a wigger uh started getting in a lot more serious trouble like really started getting banned from places for stealing i think he like he one time he claimed that like he stole his parents car or something again i don't know if it was true or not but he was doing things like that and then the summer after junior high before high school he just disappeared and I found out that he had, I think he had gotten in trouble for breaking and entering. And then he was sent to some overseas correctional program. I mean, I was, I don't know if this is true, but I was told it was in Jamaica of all places. You know, cause there, there were programs like that, but I was told that he was sent to Jamaica and that he escaped from the place in Jamaica and then he, he just disappeared from my life. Like he very abruptly just disappeared from my life. This kid who was in my life constantly, like one of my core friends, he just started getting in serious trouble. He got sent off to some something. He wasn't around and he just, I didn't hear, I would just occasionally hear rumors, but I mean, like, keep in mind, like I was one of his closest friends. So there, it wasn't like there was anybody else who was like getting the scoop on him. Like maybe one of our other friends would occasionally like see his brother, but it wasn't like, like I was in a better position to get a scoop on what was going on in Andre's life than just about anybody in the world. And even I wasn't being told. And then a couple years later, we were out like getting ready to smoke weed and like we walked by this closed Starbucks and he was just sitting in a chair outside of it, full wigger mode. And we just stopped everything and started talking to him. And he's like, I have a bowl. Like, let's go smoke. And I was like, Yeah, this is this is it because he was the first person I ever smoked weed with when I was 13. And I was like, this is it like we're 18. Now we're 17 or 18. Now like we're like seniors in high school. I haven't seen Andre in four years. Yeah, let's go smoke weed. And so we did. And I remember like he, I was listening to some metal CD in the car and he was like, this is dickhead music. And he turned on the radio and it just turned into this techno station and started like bobbing his head. And then he, I I was driving, we were driving in my car and he was in the passenger seat. And then he goes, give me $5. And I said, No. I'm not giving you fucking $5. And he's like, Eric, you've always had this hesitant side. And I remember I was like, it doesn't fucking matter. I'm not giving you $5, especially when you ask like that. And it was the way like we, like when he would say something outrageous when we were younger, that's like the way I would talk to him. It was like, we didn't really miss a beat as far as like that sort of exchange goes. Like he would say something ridiculous and then I would be like, I'm not going to fucking do that. I'm not going to give you $5. And then he just shrugged and kind of like, we went and smoked weed. Somehow, oh yeah, and he didn't have a place to stay. And so we took him to our older friend's house who had his own house with roommates and stuff. And uh, we were like, we'll just hang out here. And then I abandoned the ship. I was like, I got to go home. And so he stayed the night there with some other friends And while he was there, he broke a kitchen light. Like they woke up the next day and and he left and there was this light, like a big ceiling light and the corner of it was shattered. And it's like, yeah, he did that. He did that at my house 10 years earlier. And then I, I remember the next day, I knew that my disc man had been under the car seat or on the floor of the passenger side of the car and it was just gone. And I was like, oh yeah, he took it, you know, he was in the, you know, he hadn't seen me for four years. We had been very close friends for years, ran into each other, decided to smoke weed together. And then he, uh you know he was sitting in my car he asked he demanded five dollars which i didn't give him and then he must have been feeling around and found the disc man and just took it and it's it's the classic like scorpion and frog like i remember i was mad for a second i was like he took my fucking disc man but then i remember being like no no this is this is the andre experience this is uh this is what he does. This is the scorpion and the frog, you know? This is, uh, he's going to sting you. And there were things, too, like going back, I think I've told this story on here before because I remember it was, like, shocking even to me at the time. But there was one time where he, I think we had smoked some weed, we were young, and we went down to downtown Kirkland and we were walking around, and we had a school dance to go to that night, and we were walking back and we cut through this condo, this condominium complex, And this woman, like she seemed like she was probably like 35, but in reality, she was probably like 25. But this woman like came out on the balcony and was like, hey, do you guys want $20? And we were like, sure. And she was like, there's some drywall like in front of my door. Can you just take it? Like, it'll take you a few trips. Can you just take it to the dumpster? I'll give you guys 20 bucks. And we're like, that's easy. Sure. Easiest 20 bucks I've ever made. Like, We literally just made three trips carrying these like pieces of drywall to the dumpster around the corner. And then she came to the door and she was like, here's $20. And before she came to the door though, I remember Andre goes, let's ask for 40. And I was like, I laughed. I was like, okay. He's like, let's, let's say that he said, let's say that we thought she meant 20 each and I was like, oh, this will be interesting. And so she comes to the door and hands us twenty dollars, which is amazing—ten dollars each for doing nothing. And Audrey goes, "Oh, you know, I thought I thought you were giving us twenty each." And she was like, "No, I said twenty dollars. You know, I just meant twenty. Uh, you know, giving you guys twenty bucks." And he was like, "Oh, we're not going to have enough money for the school dance tonight." cuz he would he knew how to do this like really fake like almost like if you've seen the Dick Van Dyke show or some of these old sitcoms like when they have a child character like Dick Van Dyke's son on the Dick Van Dyke show Richie always had this like really fake little boy voice like oh gee dad oh you know it's it was he he had this voice that he would do and it was obviously fake like he wasn't doing it to actually try to seem like A sad little kid it was something like he knew that the target knew that he was faking it but it was all like part of this performance he was like oh you know i thought i thought you meant 20 each oh we're not gonna have enough money for the school dance now this kind of thing and i didn't i don't think i was saying anything and she was like no guys like really like i told you 20 bucks like you know that's a lot Like, that's a lot as it is. And it was giving us 20 bucks for she could have given us five bucks and that would have been a lot. And then, like, she she gave us 20 bucks, closed the door. And Andre's like, fucking cunt, you fucking bitch. Like, and then he went back down to the dumpster and grabbed like this big piece of the drywall, which was like a rock. And he threw it as hard as he could at her front door. And then, like, it made this huge thud. Like, it made, it made a violent noise. And then she came on the balcony, and she was like, you guys, like, if you guys don't leave, I'm going to call the cops. And then I remember, like, he, he started saying shit. I don't know if she could hear it, but he started saying, she's like, I'm going to fucking rape you, you fucking cunt, you fucking bitch. Fucking rape you. You know, like, he started getting into that. And he, he didn't, like, even his sense of humor, like we, we would joke about wildly inappropriate stuff, but that wasn't his typical sense of humor. Like, I actually could see that he was violently angry. Like, even though it was all because, like, it was supposed to be this, like, innocent little way to, like, just mess with her. Like, oh, we thought you were going to give us 40. We thought it was 20 each. Like, it was just a little game. Like,. If I was with another friend and they did that, it would just be like, let's just see what happens. This will be fun. Let's just see like, let's let's just tweak reality a little bit and try to get an extra 20 bucks out of it. With him though, like it started as this like silly gag. Like let's ask for 20 extra bucks. Let's pretend that we thought it was 20 each. And then like how quickly, like when she said no, how quickly I could see that he was violently angry. And he just hurled this piece of drywall at her door, like just threw it as hard as he could. And then, yeah, she threatened to call the police, as she should. Like, that must have been a fucked up day for her. Oh, hey, there's two boys walking by. I'll, I'll pay him 20 bucks to carry this drywall to the dumpster. And then they get just disturbingly angry. And I think I was just laughing throughout it because I didn't know what else to do. But things like that, like things like that started to happen. And then when I ran into him years later and we smoked weed and he stole from me, uh, broke a, another friend's light, something he's done more than once, just that I know of. And then he ends up having a child. No thanks. And it hasn't changed. That's the crazy thing. It's not like a guy you meet... Like, when he when he found me on Facebook years later, it's not like, oh, Andre was a fuck-up, but he's reformed his life. It's like, no, he's still doing that. And he's hanging out with 18-year-olds on the streets of Seattle, drinking a fifth of vodka every day. But I started talking to him, because it was... He's so... Uh, He's so strange and so untethered to the same reality. We're all living in that like I had to start talking to him again. And he remembered like old inside jokes and things. But had just he just now he's just a criminal. But then he came to Olympia, like, shortly after we started talking on Facebook again. And then it got to where, like, every morning for a while, like, we wouldn't talk that much. It was just a couple times we sent messages just here or there. And he was normally so fucked up, like, he couldn't have a conversation. He would just say, like, yee. He would say, he would type yee, like, Y-E-E-E. Yee. And, uh... But even though like we weren't like actively communicating, it was just, we just like talked a couple times. He would comment on a picture or something I posted. But then like he started sending me messages every morning for a while. And it was always like, it was either a picture of like the banister on a deck, it was like the railing on like an apartment deck, or it was like like a from a public park or like a bus station. Just could be any place. It was always outside, but it would be like an apartment deck. It would be a park, a bus station, the side of a building, an alleyway. But it was always like a picture of a bottle of alcohol and like generally like a loaded weed pipe. And he just felt the need to like, and it was always in the morning and he he was just letting me know, like, here's what's, here's what's going on today. Same thing as every day bottle of alcohol and a loaded weed pipe out in nature, out in a public place. But then he came to Olympia one night and I must have given him my number because he called me and he's like, yeah, I'm at this kid's 21st birthday. And keep in mind like he's probably 30 by then. He's like, I'm at this kid's 21st birthday. It's probably somebody he did time with because like a lot of his friendships and stuff became like people he did jail time with. And he's like, they're playing fucking drinking games and I'm just sitting here nursing a big fat Heineken. That's exactly what he said. Like, they're playing fucking drinking games and I'm just nursing a big fat Heineken. And I was like, that's that's what I'm into, man. I was like, I don't, I hate drinking games. Like, I like drinking, like, he obviously likes drinking a lot. Like, he likes getting drunk all day, every single day. But he, uh, I was like, yeah, fuck that, like, just drink. Don't play drinking games, just drink. And he was like, some bar downtown, and then I was like, I'll, I'll meet you down there, because I was like, this will be an interesting night. I'm going to go drink with Andre. And uh, in our, like, when we're 30, we're like close to 30 years old. I never thought this would happen. But I've got to have an exit plan. Because he has a way of staying with you all night. Like if you meet up with Andre, he's very, he's very coercive and he's, he'll stick to you like glue. Like he won't follow you around, but like you're with him the rest of the night. Like wherever you're going, he's going to find a way to go. And so I was like, I'm, I'll go drink with Andre, but like there's no way he's coming to my house. Like I've got to have an exit plan. Like I've got to escape at some point. But it started to snow, and it was like after midnight. And I was like, I'm not going to make it down there. But he still he kept calling me all night, trying to get me to meet up with him, and I never did. And I'm fortunate he didn't. I'm fortunate that I didn't see him because I mean, like, there's a high chance he would do something criminal or dangerous. I mean, he fights a lot, he gets his ass kicked. I'm sure he's hurt other people, but I was just like, you know, it's a blessing that I didn't meet up with him that night because who knows, like, especially like since he does like to perform, like not having seen me in a very long time, like being with a bunch of these young rascals, I feel like he would probably act out and do something dangerous just because of how strange the, the circumstances were, like being with me again being around these kids on a 21st birthday. So I'm glad that didn't happen. But anyway, he's, he's one of the few people I've known where I'm like, this is a very bad thing that he's having a child. Anybody else, just about anybody else. I'm just like, their life is better that they had a child. But what got me going on this Andre thing and children and all that was um, just this this declaration of like, I don't have any children. Oh, I'm so happy today that I don't have a child and I can stay in my yogi pants all day and do self-care bathing. Oh, it's so great that I don't have a child. I can just wake up in my pajama pants all day and uh, and do not- an order takeout and binge watch uh, Stranger Thing. I can just do that all day cuz I don't have a kid. Isn't it great that I don't have a kid? Having kids is weird. Having kids is, is not something to be proud of. I don't have a kid. I'm doing the world a favor cuz I don't have a kid. You know, there's a lot of that and it's it's nothing new, but it's gotten more cuz I mean like these generations, like my generation, you know, we're having far fewer children. We're starting far fewer families than anybody ever has. And while doing that, bragging about it. Oh, you know what I'm not doing? The thing that everybody always did throughout history that created me. Oh, hey, you know what I'm not doing? Having kids. And you know what that means? Like It means I can do all this. Because this is what you do when you don't have a kid. Oh, you have a, you have a baby? Gross. There's a lot of people who talk that way. You know what I'm doing? Not drinking. Oh, I guess guess what? I'm not drinking. I'm not eating meat. I'm not uh, having a kid. You know, it's all the same thing. I I'm not watching TV. I'm not on Facebook. But with the the childless thing, it's like, your life should be so interesting. No, it doesn't even have to be. It doesn't even have to be interesting, but it's like, you should have so many things you're doing because you don't have a kid that you shouldn't even be thinking about not having a kid. I think I made this point an hour ago before I started talking about Andre. But, like, I'm unmarried and have no children and I'm, I'm made aware of it when I'm around people my age who have those things but other than that like I don't think about it like when I'm doing my own self-absorbed shit every night when I'm making my own schedule I never once stop and think like I don't have a kid and that's, that's why I'm able to do this oh is it, I love a child-free life Oh, this is so great! I never have, I never stop and think that because, you know, the reason I don't have a wife or a kid, and you know, who's to say I won't, I won't ever. But the reason I don't have a wife and kids because, like, I'm just doing other things. I'm, I'm doing this. But no, I'm filling my time with other things, and even when I'm not filling my time, when I'm wasting time, I'm wasting time with whatever that that thing is that I'm focused on. Whatever that thing is that I'm just doing other things. So having having this moment where you're like, I get to wake up today and wear my yogi pants all day because I'm a girl with no kid. I get to watch Stranger Thing in my yogi pants and order pad thai takeout all day because I don't have a kid. You know, those women, and women do it more than men. There's a lot of men who don't have children now, but I very rarely see on social media or anything men go, like, no kid. Oh, you know, like, there's a lot of pressure to have a kid, and I don't have one because I'm doing other things. I have a career and interests, and I'm an artist and I'm creative. I do other things cause I don't have a kid. You know, um, you don't see men expressing that as much. Like women do it more, like women feel the pressure to have a kid maybe more than men or at least like the identity of being a mother and having children. Um, but they, they do the other side of it. Like the amount that like a, a mom talks about her kids, which they should. It's a great thing when a mom's talking about her kids. But the amount of time and energy a mom spends talking about her kids, somebody who's making this bold statement by not having children, they spend that same amount of time and energy like talking about how they're rebelling against expectations and they're they're not having children. And you know what a a brave thing that is to do. They want an award for it. And I have I have a family member like this and I love them, but I I, I just always find it so strange this person feels the need to do that just don't have a kid and do everything else you want and for me like at no point do i like look down upon having children nor do i think that my life is necessarily better for not having a kid like the things that are important to me that i spend my time doing instead of starting a family I don't think they're any better and they might be even worse than having a kid. I'm sure they are, but I don't, you know, I'm a weird wizard. You know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a strange character, you know, I I am, and I don't know that I was necessarily meant to start a family, but I'm not worried about it either way. If I ended up with a kid, I'd have a kid. Change my life. But, if I don't have a kid, I don't have a kid. That'll change my life too. I can't imagine like making it a part of my identity. Can't imagine making that part of my identity. I just can't, one way or the other. So this idea of like like telling people you don't have a kid and, and all that, I'm just like, wow. The amount that you focus on this, it kind of seems like you probably want to have a kid and you just have to repeat this mantra over and over again. You're looking for some kind of validation. When like me, like I wouldn't say I've made a decision to not have a child. But I've certainly not made a decision to have a child. And I'm focused on other things. So I don't think about that question very much. And I, I mean, I think that's the way to go. Because most of the people I've known who were really opposed to having children who were like, I'm never gonna have a kid. I'm never gonna have a kid. I'm never gonna have a kid. You know, those people, they have, when they've had kids, their tune changes completely. Like, dude, this is the fucking most amazing. Look at my kid. 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 You know, that that's what they end up becoming. And that's wonderful. I don't i don't think that's a bad thing at all. I think it's great. Um, but uh, their tune changed real quick when they actually had a kid. Um... So I've seen that happen enough to where it's like, yeah, don't protest it. It's not an act of protest to not have a kid. It's just you're, you're probably doing other things. You have other priorities. It, does, it doesn't need to be a part of your identity that you don't do it. It's just a fact about you. Like if someone were to look at me in my life, being a, a lone a man. No wife and child. I wouldn't want them to look at that and be like, look at that childless, ex- look at that uh, amazing child free existence he's created. You know, he's able to do that because he doesn't have a child. People wouldn't look at me and say that. Like, oh, you know, the reason why he's able to stay up until 2 a.m. talking into a phone? It's because he's living a supreme child free life. Nobody would think that. And I would never look at my life and say, Oh, the reason I can do this because I'm child-free. I'm child-free. Child-free. I'm child-free. I'm child-free. I'm child-free. 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 Jeffrey. Jeffrey. I'm Jeffrey. I'm Jeffrey. I'm <laughs> Jeffrey. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> Child free. I'm a child free Jeffrey. I'm a child free Jeffrey. Um, getting weird here on a Tuesday night. Uh, but no, it, it's like I would never see like the way I live my life as like a product of of not having a child. Obviously, it is. Like obviously, like my life would be much different if I had a kid my my mindset would be much different but it's not like this is a result of not having a kid it would just be different if i did i mean i think you you could say the same thing like not having drank for 6 years like it's it's really benefited my life like a lot of the way i live now is a product of not doing that. A lot of my mindset you know benefits from or is influenced by the fact that I don't drink indirectly. Like I don't go into work hungover. I don't spend seven hours at bars like I used to do. You know I don't do those things that I used to do when I drank. But it's not like when I actually look at the substance of my life, it's at all influenced by alcohol one way or another today. The reason I did this? Not drinking. The reason I'm able to talk into my phone late into the night on a Tuesday? Not drinking. The reason why I had this thought? Not drinking. Oh yeah, the reason why I was able to create this? Not drinking. Not drinking, not drinking. Child free, child free, child free. Not drinking, Jeffrey. I'm child free, not drinking, Jeffrey. Hey, they they call me child free, not drinking. I'm just another child free, non drinking Jeffrey. Um, no, I'm not. I just do other things. Um. You know, the absence of something in my life doesn't make the presence of other things what they are. It influences them indirectly. Like the fact that I'm not hungover, the fact that I'm not drinking and regretting things that I say or do when I'm drunk, indirectly influences my life, but it's not a direct influence. It's not a product of that. The fact that i'm not a fat boy anymore my life isn't a product of that losing weight it's not a product of that it is what it is in part because of that but it's not it doesn't revolve around that like i don't work out today because i used to be fat so it's interesting when people's lives revolve around that because uh i'm I'm a child-free not drinking jeffrey everybody in town knows me i'm a not drinking child-free jeffrey like i had a friend who joined aa and got married and it's wonderful like what she's done is wonderful but at her wedding it was weird because um like part of their vows involved like AA stuff like it involved like talking about not drinking and i was like oh well this, this is really a big part of this you know this is a big part of this the absence of alcohol in their lives is a big part of the story that's being told And you know what? Like I was saying earlier, if that works for them, wonderful. I'm not talking shit about it at all. I just found it interesting. Which is, that's my go-to line. I'm not talking shit. I just find it interesting and I'm pointing it out. I just find this really interesting. I'm just another, I'm just a not drinking, child-free Jeffrey. I'm a child-free, not drinking Jeffrey. Jeffrey. Um, you know, it's like when veganism or not eating meat obviously has this political purpose, but like when that's, you know, I mean, you look at straight edge bands, you look at vegan bands where that's a big part of their story. Straight edge bands are the, you know, the most famous where it's just the absence of something is. You know, the absence of, of drugs and alcohol becomes the content of what they're creating. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think it sucks to do that. That's how a lot of Satanism comes across. This is a godless album. What we're doing is godless. What we're doing is has the absence of Christianity in it we're doing the opposite of Christianity here. Doing the opposite of Christianity. Christian. Are you Christian? Hello, Christians. Guess what? I'm not one of you. I'm not one of you. I'm just a, a non-drinking, child-free, cage-free Anti Christian Jeffrey. But yeah, it's orbiting the thing that you're opposed to. You don't want to orbit things, in my opinion. I can't. I don't want to orbit the void of something that is no longer part of my life. I don't want to orbit that void. I don't drink anymore. I don't want to orbit alcohol. I don't do a lot of things. I don't want to... I don't have children. I don't want to orbit the idea of children. I don't want to be a moon orbiting that idea. Because that's what you become. You become a little... A tiny little moon. So small that you might as well be... You know, just a rock that fell off a... A dead planet. And you're just orbiting this thing. you're like, look... I'm orbiting this thing, but I'm not that thing. I'm a moon. I'm orbiting this planet, but guess what? I'm not part of that planet. I'm a moon. But it's like you're still orbiting it. You're still defined by it. You're just a moon. Don't have kids? Well don't orbit the idea of having kids in a family. Otherwise, you're just a moon. Because the idea behind it is like, I'm actually a planet. I'm actually a planet. I have so much going on. My life is so full and vital. I'm a planet. But in actuality, no, you're a moon. And that's even being, I'm being nice by comparing it to that. Because moons are uh, actually quite a bit cooler than what I'm talking about here. You're not a planet, you're a moon. And you're such a small moon that anybody would just see you and think you're a pebble. A pebble of a pebble it's the pebble moon oh you better stay up late on saturday there's gonna be a pebble moon now you're a pebble moon you're a moon pebble and i don't know I, i mean i always appreciate like when someone does have children i'm just like that's wild you know that's uh really something, that you're a dad, you're a mom. Like, not just the fact that you created a human being who might vaguely resemble you, but everything you say and do is is further generating who that person is gonna be and what they are. That's pretty amazing. you you have children you know one of the complaints about people having kids is like oh my friends don't go out anymore since they have kids and like I don't go out anymore and I don't have kids like people are like oh like my friends don't go out and party and drink and go to shows with me anymore because now they have kids and it's like you know how much more boring they would be if they just kept doing that forever if your friends just kept doing what you guys have been doing forever they'd be more boring than they are now they'd be worse like if someone has has a family now and they can't do the things they used to do well guess what I don't have a family and I can't do the things I used to do just live your life here's something i'm not doing it'd be fun to do that to the extreme you know i'm not brushing my teeth i'm not exercising i'm not eating well i'm not drawing that i'm drawing this but guess what the fact that i'm drawing this means i'm not drawing that because that's kind of what it's like When you define yourself based around something you're not doing, it's essentially like drawing something or or pretending to draw something and then being like, yeah, but guess what? I'm drawing this because I'm not drawing that. But it's even worse than that. It's more like not drawing anything at all and telling people like, oh, the reason I'm not drawing anything is because I'm not drawing that. I'm I'm not drawing anything. and it's all because i'm not drawing a woman with big double dd titties i wouldn't be sitting here drawing nothing if i was drawing a woman with double ds dd's that's kind of what it's like it, cuz if you were drawing something else like if you were drawing you know a uh, a knight drawing a, a medieval knight you wouldn't be sitting there thinking like I'm drawing this because I'm not drawing a woman with double deities you're just drawing a knight and that's what I mean about like your life should be substantial enough that not doing something should really have no impact on the thing you're actually doing. Your life should be so full that not having children should mean nothing to the life that you're actually living. You're drawing something else. So why would you think about the fact that you're not drawing that? And then you realize like how much of people's psychology is wrapped up in this way of thinking. It's not just that stuff. It's their political views. It's their social views. And you don't create anything substantial by doing that. If your political views are like, well, I'm a a progressive lib because I don't want to be a Republican, then what are you? You're just opposed to that thing? You see it the other way, like, oh, well, I'm part of the new right wing because I'm anti-woke. Okay, you're opposed to that thing, you're opposed to those things. What are you? Well, I'm not that. Well, what are you? We, m- many people can't answer that. You see that a lot with people. You see that a lot with like the anti-woke lobby. Where it's like, "Okay, you're opposed to that." Like I hate that shit. Because it goes against the very fiber of my being and the things that make me what I am. I loathe progressive liberalism because I actually feel like it is actively trying to negate the things I value about reality and the life I want to live and the way I want to think. That's why I hate it. But the life I want to live and the values I have aren't a product of not believing in that nonsense. It's because I already know basically, like I don't, I, I, there's a lot I don't know, but I already know basically how I want to live and think. And it's always changing, but I always know how I want to do it. And so if there's a way of thinking that tries to destroy or negate that, I'm going to hate that thing, but it, who I am is not going to be based off of my disgust for it. My values aren't based on a disgust toward progressive liberalism. I just have my beliefs and I and progressive liberalism disgusts me because a lot of it doesn't line up with the world I want to live in right now. And you see where like a lot of, you know, modern libs, like where, you know, if they're my age or, you know, if they're Gen X or Gen, what used to be called Gen Y now is called millennials. You know, if you're from our age group, maybe even older Zomers, the older Zomers, you know, if you're from that age group, it's like a lot of your views reform just, I want to oppose like evangelical Christians and George W. Bushel. And there's not really much substance aside from that. Like, you could be a a Democrat or a liberal in the early to mid 2000s, and all it required was for you just to be like, I hate George W. Bushel. But it wasn't like there were really any values to it, which is one of the reasons why we've seen, like, just this radical change in what mainstream progressive liberals believe and are willing to accept. One of the reasons for that is because there really wasn't that much substance to it because so much of it was drawn in opposition to what Republicans were and conservatives were at the time that these people's political ideologies you know, gelled within them. But you can see it now with the opposition to that stuff where it's like, I'm anti-woke. I'm anti-woke. But what do you actually have to offer beyond that? Okay, great. You're another disgruntled college professor complaining about universities and, um, you know, Democrat politicians. What do you actually have to offer beyond that? What sort of edge do you actually have What sort of fire do you actually have inside of you? Often not much. I mean, I think like you look at someone like um, Jordan Peterson. I I like Jordan Peterson a lot. I don't think I'll ever... You know, you've seen where some of the people who were into him... Often the people who are too into him are the people now who are like too opposed to him. Like, even people who agree with him are like, oh, he's he's uh past his expiration date, and he kind of is like the vital period when I think Jordan Peterson was having the largest effect that he was going to have on people. That's past. And it's amazing that it happened at all and went on for as long as it did. But yeah, he he is kind of past his expiration date as far as his real potency goes. But he's not expired and he's not rotten. He's just, you know, it's like when medicine expires and it doesn't turn bad. Like it's not going to harm you. It's not going to make you sick. It's just it loses its potency. That's kind of how I see like a guy like Jordan Peterson. He's he's just not as potent as he was, but he's fine, and he's probably gotten really fucked up by you know the whole experience he's been through. Um, but I, he's someone that I bring him up because he's someone where like I've I've always felt like he actually has something, even though he got famous for like being another disgruntled college professor fighting against wokeism as they call it. You know, even though that's kind of what brought him to people's attention, I've always felt like he had substance to him beyond that. Like he was creating, he was doing something constructive and substantial and standing for something that actually had substance to it. But there's other versions of him that really don't. They're like, oh, I, I sure hate the way the that I'm being treated in academia. Oh, academia is a big farce. When was it not? But um, academia is a big farce. Uh, can you believe what they're asking? Oh, can you believe that they're trying to make us say z and zero pronouns? Can you believe that they they don't they they can't tell you what a woman is? You know, there's that whole thing. And then, like when you actually look at what the person has to offer, there's no substance. There's nothing to actually hold on to. So they're they're just there's a lot of them out there where their entire identity is based around their opposition to modern liberal progressivism, but they don't actually offer anything other than that. And, uh, you gotta have something else. Like, you know, I'm a child free, anti-woke, non-drinking, non-meat eating, cage free, You know, you got to have a lot going on. Don't you have a lot going on? Don't you have some sort of substance? And you don't like this other thing, or this other thing caused you problems. But don't you have this other substance to focus on? Like, I stopped drinking because it got in the way of the other substance that makes me what I am. And the substance that makes me what I am is not... Drinking or not drinking it's just that was getting in the way of the other substance that is more substantial The society I want to live in the values I want to see out in the world the lifestyle I want to live the views that I want to have the thought process that I want to have that Is is the substance and political and social views that actively try to steer me away from that or negate it, I'm opposed to those. But my opposition to those things doesn't make the substance that I'm trying to preserve. I know I keep making that point over and over again, but it, it's an important one to me. Anyway, I better go to bed. I gotta. Tomorrow's my. I, this is the fifth week in a row I've worked six days a week. So for the last five weeks straight, I've done 60-hour weeks. Oh, you think that's bad? Try a 90-hour week. You know, someone will always try to one-up you, but that's a lot. I've never worked that much, especially with the demands of my job. It's a lot. And my one day off tomorrow, I've got to take Batty into the vet. A lot to do on my one day off every week. But, you know, it's what I'm doing right now. It's what I know. It's it, it, You know, it's funny because I remember working back-to-back 60-hour weeks. Like I've worked a lot of 60-hour weeks since starting this job, but they're usually kind of staggered. Like, I'll work one and then work 50 hours the next week, 60 hours after that, another 50. I think there's only been maybe one or two times before this where I've worked back-to-back 60-hour weeks, and I was like, oh, that's a lot. I, I think I might be burning out Oh, another 60. Oh, guys, I I practically live in this store because I'm working so many 60 hour weeks. And I was just doing them back to back. Now, doing them back to back to back to back. Back to back to back to back. To back. You know, not I'm doing them that way. I'm just like, I've I just like crossed the threshold and I'm just like, this is just what I do. This is normal now. It's like riding a plane. You know, this is just normal now. Oh, this is really strange the first time riding in a plane. Oh, it was really weird going up in a skyscraper for the first time. But guess what? I've done it a bunch. This is just normal now. That's kind of how I'm feeling about my schedule is I'm like, you know, hopefully it relents. But this has just quickly become how I live. And the only thing that actually causes me any problem with it right now, obviously, I don't have free time to do everything I want to do but the only thing I don't like is just not getting to spend enough time with Batty, and that's ultimately why this is unsustainable This uh, something will have to change because I mean six days a week, ten hours a day just not enough time with my dog, you know, it's important to me as well as the other things I want to do but that's the most important uh, but uh yeah, so I got a good, you know, do a lot tomorrow on my one-off day. But you never want to be one of those people, you know, I, I with this job, I've talked about this job more than I'd like. I try not, I've, over the years doing this show now for so long, I think it, about 10 years in December, I think I'll have been doing this show, something close to that, nine or 10 years. I've talked about jobs like almost none on here if I do it's something from the way in the past but for some reason this job just like compelled me to speak about it a lot especially when I started such a different environment but uh, I've never wanted to be those people either like I've always hated it when you have a friend or somebody and you're like what are you doing just working a lot I wish I had time for that because I'm working all the time how do you even have time to think about that aren't you working I always hate people who do that. I hate when people do that. Cause it's like, normally I I could be working a lot and I still have time to be a freak. Uh, But uh, with this job though, it's like, I really don't. I have way less time than ever. And I, I never want to be those pe- one of those people who's like, I'm just a working man. I just I work all the time. Oh, man, like, wish I had time for that, but I'm working. You know, it's like, you talk to people like that, and it just sucks. So I don't want to become one of those people, but that's sort of who I am right now. I don't want to become one of those people, but that's sort of who I am right now.